I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, two really excellent guests with just excellent conversations. I'm not overselling it. This was a really good podcast. First up, Mike Golick, the longtime ESPN staffer. He now works at a variety of places, including Westwood One Audio, Learfield, Meadowlark Media, where he does a podcast with uh, John Wiener Stugatz. And does also a hit on Peacock with uh, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. He's followed by Jay Glazer, the Fox NFL insider and the author of Unbreakable, How I Turned My Depression and Anxiety into Motivation, and You Can Too. Really just both really honest, interesting conversations. I'm, I'm not even going to preview at the top. I just, uh, just want to get to it so you can enjoy it. First up is Mike Golick, followed by Jay Glazer on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Mike Golick is returning to this podcast. Let me give you, it's going to take a little bit of time to give you all Mike's jobs right now. So let's sit, sit down, grab some coffee, and, and let me roll through this. He's currently working as a on-air analyst for the Learfield College Football Game of the Week. He does that with Kate Scott, who's been on this podcast as well, who's great. He is a Westwood One NFL analyst, just did the Bengals-Raiders game uh, we'll ask about that. I don't know if that was on site or not. He's working with Metalark, doing weekly hits with Stugatz on the Stupidity Stupidity podcast. I hope I'm pronouncing that Stupidity. right. Stupidity. Stupidity. Yeah. Stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should, uh, my apologies. I should listen. Uh, as well as the God Bless Football podcast. And he's also doing a weekly hit on Peacock with Mike Florio, PFT with Mike Florio. Obviously, you know Mike Golick from all his years at ESPN. Pleased to be joined once again. By Mike Golick. Mike, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. And yeah, that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It used to be so easy, just, you know, ESPN and that was it. And now now I have all these uh all these titles, which won't be the same next year. I don't I don't think I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bite off this much again. <laughs> all right, we'll get into that. Well, Mike, the last time you were on this podcast, <laughs> it seems people were interested. There are quite quite a few downloads uh for that one. And I, I appreciate your honesty. So let's start here. It's been twelve months now, about twelve months since you left ESPN when you um you spoke to me in the summer and we did a pretty long forum on sort of just your career and and what had happened there at the end and what you hope to do. And so I was curious now that we're, we're into 2022, you're a year since you left ESPN, you're about five months since I last talked to you. Um, how do you feel about um, where you are today and leaving ESPN sort of 12 months past as opposed to maybe when I talked to you like uh, five months ago or something? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, the obviously the further you get away from something, the and as long as you're doing something else, I mean, had I had, had I come on and you said Golik's doing nothing, um, <laughs> I probably would be hoping I was still doing that or wishing I still was. I, I still miss it. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I loved doing the morning show. I miss that outlet of talking uh, every day. And in all honesty, the last three years as part of with Trey, but with part of working with my son, I mean, nothing, nothing beat that in all the years I, I've been working. So that, that's still uh, stays. So it, it's nice to listen to him and Chris Canty every day. Uh, but, you know, I, I it, it's kind of like I had said, you know, I got when I got cut from one football team and went to the next, once I go to the next team, I don't keep asking about the old team. You know, you, you move on, you know, and I was uh, fortunate enough to have some opportunities. And I basically took a lot of them uh, for this year to see what I wanted to really kind of maybe hone in on going forward for the next few years. I, I won't what you read, I won't do all that again. Uh, it was I was really busy. It was a lot of you know doing two football games a week and and podcasts and such. It got going, um, but it was fun to be busy, uh, especially now during football season. So uh, yeah, I just I'm looking for what I like to do. 
Do I miss the talk show? Yes. Do I miss getting up at 4.15 in the morning? No. So there's that trade-off uh, as well. I, I'm, I just actually filled in here in Arizona with my first uh, you know, uh, partner and Bruce Jacobs. I saw that. Yeah, yeah and, right. and it was so funny because he texted me and said, hey, can uh, Dale Hellestray, who played for the Cowboys when I was with the Eagles, and that's his partner, is off you know, on this day. Can you fill in? And I said to my wife, I'm like, oh, my God, I have to get up in the morning and do four hours. And she's like, you did it for 23 years. What are you complaining about one day? <laughs> but it was that one day of thinking, oh, my God, I got to get up early and talk for four hours. But I ended up having – could only do two because I had to fly to the playoff game I did. But it was great. It was just great to talk, you know, free form like that again for an extended period of time. So I wouldn't rule that out in the future somehow, some way, somewhere, possibly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I love – I, I love calling games. Love it. So to be able to do college and pro this year has been a ball. All right. We're going to get into those jobs, but just, just to follow up on that. So if, if, if the right daily audio slash radio spot came up, you would consider that? Yeah. Oh, I would. Yes. Yes, I would. Um, partly because I, I do think I still would love it. And I think my wife would still want me out of the house for a while. So I think it, you know, it's twofold. All right, so let's get into this because I think listeners would be interested in the process of of how these jobs that you did this year came to be. And like let's just be honest, Mike, the reality is you're a no you were a known entity. You had worked at ESPN for obviously multiple decades. So people in the business know who you are. That said, ultimately like you you have to connect with the people who are making or hiring these positions to ultimately do it. So whether it was Learfield or Westwood or Meadowlark, do they approach you or your agent about these positions or did you or were you actively working to say, OK, I want to be an analyst. I have contacts in the business. I'm going to call these people. I, I just think because uh, listeners don't really get a sense of how this works, they'd be interested in how it worked. I was I was fortunate enough that, you know, I had been just out of it that people were calling my agent, you know, with, with opportunity. So um, now again, there, there were some radio opportunities, you know, that I didn't get, you know, Fox, you know, morning radio, they had a slot to fill and, and, you know, they, they didn't want me for that for, you know, whatever reason they want, it's theirs. They went with, you know, I, I think it's LeVar Arrington or Brady Quinn, who I know, you know, mo know both those guys very well. And I hope it's going great for them. Um, so, you know, there were, there were jobs like that where, uh, I, I didn't get a couple of, uh, I think, um, NFL TV analyst roles, you know, they went different directions, you know, and, and that, that's the way it goes. You don't get everything out there. I know a lot of people are like, oh, Golik was this for so many years. They should be able to get any job. It doesn't work that way. You know, it, it does not work that way. Um, so, but as far as the jobs I did, yeah. The, the, they were people that called my agent and we we kind of sifted through some of them. There were some others as well. And we just kind of decided what we wanted to do uh, that that would work best. So, yeah, it, it, I, I was fortunate in that way that, that that people were were at least at this point seeking me out. We'll see in the future if that happens. <laughs> Let's take a couple of these. Uh, uh, we'll take them individually and just sort of discuss uh, um, each of the gigs and, and what you liked about it. So let's start with the Learfield one. That was a Saturday night college football uh, job. I think if I'm correct, you and Kate basically traveled around the country to do that job. So that's a op one. That's a great opportunity, obviously, to do reps and to um, to do sort of game stuff on a week by week basis. At the same time, that's a grind job. You got to travel sort of to different places. I would imagine you guys did. Um, you know, you, this you weren't necessarily doing like uh, um, the 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 biggest game of the week let's say you might do an sec game or whatever a big 10 game but um you know the, again it's it's a real it's sort of a commitment how did you feel did you did you like being back at the uh in the college atmosphere did you like um calling those games i know you called georgia once so you got to see the national champions um, so that's a cool gig, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're earning your money for that gig, I think. Well, well, let, let me tell you why it didn't feel like as much. Well, with the other stuff I did, it did be kind of, it was kind of a grind, but when I first got to, to, uh, when I first started in this business at ESPN in 95, I was doing college games and then I started to do radio and then do, do, um, uh, studio as well. When it was NFL tonight, not NFL live, same show, they changed the name, but back then for 10 years, when I was doing college games, I was also doing radio every morning and I was doing studio work two or three times a night. So 
that was what I did now was a breeze compared to radio every single day, studio two or three times, travel on the weekend to do a college game, get back on Sunday and start the whole process over again on Monday. Now I didn't have, I don't, I didn't have a uh, daily radio gig. I would do a pod occasionally and I got to actually see what it was like to just prepare for a football game, you know, not have to do a four hour radio show every day or studio work two or three times a week. So in all honesty, now it did get a little more difficult because I had to, you know, back end an NFL game or usually the NFL game was first. It was a Thursday night game. Then I would do a Saturday night college game. So from a prep standpoint of games, it, it got to me demanding, but Nothing compared to what I was doing from like 95 to 2005 when I was doing all those other things. And let me tell you, working now, I had never met Kate Scott. I knew she did a lot with the Pac-12. She is fantastic. She is an absolute rising, shooting up star in this business and got the Philadelphia 76ers gig while we were doing um, the, the Saturday game. So then she had to kind of double up a little bit. She is so much fun, and she is so good at her job. And the one thing Learfield, I really, really loved him for, Tom Bowman was the producer that traveled with us. He was fantastic. The, Richard, they just said, guys, go have fun. We, I did morning radio forever. She had done some morning radio. We basically wanted to do a radio show that involved a game. I mean, they let us get just talk so much non-sports, other sports, football game, I mean, we had a ball. It's it's as much fun as I've had doing a game. And, and I loved it because sometimes I think it, it, the, that games can get too, you know, too cookie cutter. Talk about the game, talk about this play, talk about this matchup, which you need to do. But to me, a lot of times there's not enough fun involved as well because, you know, in the NFL, I know that's their job. But calling the game is still calling the game. In college, man, we, I don't know if I've had as much fun calling a game where they just let us go. So it, and it was the first time I had done a full slate since probably 2005. So from that standpoint, you're right. It, it, it get, did get to be a bit of a grind, but I mean, we looked forward to our Friday night dinners, our Saturday morning breakfasts, our, our, you know, even though we were on radio, they had a booth cam that was on YouTube and different things. And, and so it was, I, I had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, Kate was she is just fantastic, and, and, and she is she, everybody's going to hear a lot from her going forward. The NFL job was Thursday Night Football, and then you did you just did the Bengals Raiders. Is that are you done now with Westwood One, or do you have one more divisional game? No, no, I, I, I have more. It was either a Thursday night game, sometimes a Sunday night game uh, that I did. I'm doing the Tampa Bay game, Tampa and the Rams, and I'm also gonna I'm also gonna uh, be there for the Super Bowl. I'll probably I'll probably work sidelines for Westwood One for the Super wow. Bowl. I think Kurt Warner will be in the booth. So yeah, it's amazing because all the years at ESPN when we would go and do our show all week there, I always left on Saturday. I never wanted to stay for the game because I was jealous of those guys. I never got to play in the Super Bowl, and I said I'm gonna go watch from my couch at home. So the first one I'm actually staying for, I'm actually working it. <laughs> So that, that's uh, that's going to be pretty cool. I, so I'm, you'll I'm be really on one of the sidelines. I'll probably have two two reporters, I'd imagine, maybe right. Probably, but but the way they're going, I'm actually I'm at, that's what I'm doing this week. They actually want me to kind of practice it. I'm going to be an analyst on the sideline. It's not like the normal oh, sideline okay. yep, yep, thing. Yep, yep, yep. So it's going to be like that that analyst. So like in this case, I think Ross Tucker will be in the booth. He and I will will you know go back and forth in the Super Bowl. It'll be me and Kurt Warner kind of going back and forth. You know, uh, so that'll be more like that role on the sideline. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So get a good little practice trial of it this weekend and then and then get ready for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I like when they do that. Holly Road is, uh, does that a lot for women's college basketball where she's not really a sideline reporter. She's sort of this like uh, half analyst, half sideline reporter, which is, to me is the better way, I think, to ultimately uh, – do this because you allow the talent to bring in their own expertise in addition to the reporting. Did um, when it came to um, calling games for Westwood One, Mike? I wonder if you experienced this because I I've certainly in writing about this have seen this a lot. I think people don't realize how many people listen to the NFL on radio, and you so just surprised that people just driving around during Sunday or who just enjoy the radio experience, I'm usually talking about national games, not necessarily local, as opposed to watching it on TV. And I wonder just from just doing it this year, did you maybe even anecdotally, were you surprised at how many people might have heard you on Westwood One than you might have expected? 
Yes, because I'll be honest, Richard, and I've always been this way, even with radio and the amount of people listening or ratings, I, I didn't I didn't care because the people above me are the ones that dealt with that. And if it got to a position where we were doing really bad and they needed us to change up, they'd let me know, right? But it was always, hey, just keep doing your thing. And and my thought had always been, and, and you're right, I didn't know the audience for Westwood One. I, I, I don't know, and I still don't. I don't know how many people are listening to the game because the way I look at it is there's no need for me to worry about that because I, I whether it's one person or 10 million people, I'm going to call it the same way. And I've always felt like I'm talking to one person. That's the way I've always Always done it, whether it was at ESPN and radio or whether it was calling games. I'm talking to one person out there. But seeing some of the reaction from people, you know, on social media of me doing games, I'm like, wow, I, I didn't realize. And, and in all honesty, I still don't. If you ask me, do you know how many people listen to the games? I will say I have zero clue. And, and, and I'm fine with that because, like I said, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change the way I call a game. Then when it comes to the, um, the Meadowlark stuff with um... – Stugatz, that gives you obviously, I feel like, a chance to get a little bit closer to what you did before, right? Like, it's sort of like it's free form. The great thing, as you know, about a podcast is like, um, you're not beholden to time. You're you're not even beholden to like, uh, you can curse if you want, you know, whatever you want to do. So, my sense is that that's probably something you really like because it gives you a chance to, uh, um, to be a little more personality driven where the games itself ultimately. You know, with the game broadcast, you have to let us know what is going on in the field in a certain amount of time. Yeah, the game's going to dictate a lot of what we talk about. Absolutely right. Right. The, in all honesty, the, the the most difficult thing has been, I mean, I did radio for a couple of decades and you you understand you can't swear, you know, and you, so you right. just don't. Now <laughs> right. I'm doing podcasts, but I still do radio hits. And on the podcast, we obviously swear a little bit. And and now I have to think, okay, wait, wait, I'm on radio. No, I can't do that. You know, I don't want to get anybody in trouble or anything. So that's been kind of weird. But listen, Stu and I and Dan have been been friends for years, for, for decades. Uh, and, and this really is more with Stu, with Stupidity. And, and then uh, we, we, we started the pod, God Bless Football, uh, for the football season, which may keep going. And Stu and I have always wanted to work together. You know, when when there was going to be a new morning show and, and it was Trey and my son, and my son yeah. Mike. Yeah. Stu was yeah. Stu, Jason Fitz. They were in the running to be, you know, in Trey spot there. It was going to be in me and my son and either Trey or Stu or, or Jason Fitz. So Stu and, and Stu and my son Mike have done podcasts together as well. Um, weekend observations is what they did. They had a ball doing it. Let, let me just say this. Um and hopefully more info down the line. Stu and I are going to be working together a lot. Um, hmm. Yeah. All right. Forward. So it, it's, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll let you know when all that's going on. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that could be a fun, fun thing we're, we're looking forward to there. You know, one of the things, Mike, yeah, I know you, you still love live radio and, um, and you would, you know, like you said earlier in this podcast, you would, you would take a job if it was the right job. But now having experienced uh, much more of doing something specifically for a podcast, um, you also are obviously well enough to, uh, you know, you're, you're aware that you look around and some of the most well-known, successful people are now podcasters. They're not, they're not on air. There's obviously still a lot of linear radio people who are successful and have big shows. But, you know, you look at like the Rogans of the world and people like that. I mean, there tens of millions of people listening so i wonder like um did do you did you what did you learn about the format and yourself in terms of uh of what can be done as a podcaster versus what you did obviously during those years and as an espn radio host i mean what a different world it is and i got a lot of this education and doing stuff with with Stu and all their group uh, with stupidity is you know i did a four-hour radio show it was a four-hour radio show Right. Right. Yeah. Live guests. We rarely taped it, taped a guest. It was live guests. It was us talking six in the morning, Eastern till 10 Eastern. And we were done podcasting. You know, I'll, I'll Stu or, or one of the guys will hit me up and say, Hey, we have Andy Reed coming on. Can you, can you interview him? Can you do handle this, do this interview? Uh, because we always go fun, have fun back and forth. I don't want Stu on with my friends who are head coaches because they'll screw up my relationship with them and all that. <laughs> 
So I'll do that interview and it'll then it'll go in a podcast and I don't necessarily know which week of the podcast. So that's the biggest difference for me is, is it can be disjointed of what I was used to. Now it's the podcast world. So all the podcasting people are used to this. You do a segment here, a segment there, you edit it all together and you have a podcast where I was used to doing four hours straight of radio and TV. And then the show was over here. You're always doing something like I was talking with Stu. We were talking about doing a, a podcast with, with some other people. And he's like, yeah, we, we'll, we can make two out of it. And I'm like, okay. So I, I'm still learning about this and, and I do want to learn more about it because I'm with you. I, I understand terrestrial radio is certainly taking a bit of a hit from back in when, when I was doing it years ago. Uh, and, and the podcast world, you have to be with the times. And it, that this the podcast world is very popular. So I have been trying to learn more about it. But that's probably the biggest difference is it can be disjointed, but then put together and put together to make it sound flawless, as opposed to, hey, I got four hours of live radio and it's going to be what it's going to be. Oh, and a couple more here. How much? Uh, how much do you listen to ESPN Radio these days? I pretty much listen to it. It's amazing. Like when I was at Notre Dame, when I stayed there from April to November. Now I'm in Arizona. I, I've gotten caught up again in local news. So I'll, I'll get up in the morning, and that's what we'll turn on. We'll turn on that, or we'll turn on, you know, Good Morning America or something, or the NBC Morning Show or something, and and we'll watch that because. We know later in the day we're going to listen to Mike and, and, and Chris Canty. So we, we listen to them every day. But other than that, I listen to more local and or national like regular news to kind of because I can now and kind of get caught up on everything. So in all honesty, not not a whole lot outside of outside of my son and Chris Canty, who I think are, are doing a nice job together. I've always liked Chris. Chris has is, is, is done a great job over the years. So it's, a, it's I think it's a nice pairing. I want to, I think you would provide some interesting perspective here having been in the business for such a long time and morphing between doing um live games as an analyst and then obviously uh studio work and certainly radio obviously. Uh Drew Brees did this week's playoff game and the sentiment was that he did not have a good game. He he um he just he he uh sort of had what's the maybe the sort of the best way to to say it? Not that he wasn't prepared, but that the the maybe the game felt a little too big for where he is in his broadcast development. As someone who's been in the business for uh, a long time, Mike, I think you'd have great perspective on this. One, how hard is it to sort of do that kind of job to to be a to to walk into a playoff game in front of thirty million people, and even if you're as famous as Drew to sort of deliver the kind of broadcast you want. And then secondly, and this may be more interesting to me, is we live in such a world now, a 24-7 social media world, where like you sort of get tagged very quickly as like a certain broadcaster, even though like in any other profession, you you would get time to get better at your profession. It's sort of, and maybe I'm guilty of writing it too, it sort of happened to Witten. People made a basic, a decision on Jason Witten after his first couple games, Monday Night Football, and that was that. But the reality is, like, Drew Brees will be a better broadcaster his 20th game than he will be his first game in the same way I was a better writer in my 20th year writing than I was in my first year. How do you look at all this stuff as someone who sort of lived it? The, the one thing I'll say is, and, I, and I, I think I said this to you before, I certainly said it to others, the one thing that benefited Greeny and I, in all honesty, when we started in 2000, is nobody was listening to us. I mean, we, we right. again, for people that don't remember, when the morning show started at ESPN, I actually did it with Tony Bruno. We were in one market. That was Chicago. We weren't cleared That's everywhere. Right. Right. Uh, but then we started gaining more and more affiliates. Our own, we weren't even carried in Hartford, you know, which is obviously, you know, the, the city. The whole market. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so our bosses couldn't even hear us. So we literally would go through the first year or two and we made mistakes and, and we kind of found our way. So if, if it was Mike and Mike just starting today, we would get instant feedback, probably very critical feedback because we, we just started. I had never done it before. Greeny had never done it before and they threw us together and we had time to work through all our, all our mistakes and work through things. You don't get that today. That's why I... I said, you know, the, the, the new show, I, I talked to you about it, the new show with Keyshawn and Jay Will, and now it's Max, but it was Zubin then. 
I mean, they were thrown in front of hundreds of affiliates, didn't get a ton of time to practice together, and then had instant feedback on it anyway because it's a social media world. I mean, it, it God, I, I wish it wouldn't happen to people. I wish it wouldn't happen to them. I wish it had happened differently for them. But that's the reality today when you put a show together is you're going to get instant feedback. So now take it into the booth. So with analysts, we know what's going to happen. And, and sometimes companies sit there and try and say, oh, we're not taking people because of their names. That's bull. They do. They take the stars. I get it. I understand it. I, I, I understand that they do that. So what happened? You know, you know what happened is Tony Romo came right off the field, went right in the booth. And what was he? Instant, right? I mean, oh, my God, he's calling plays. He's having a ball. What a personality. So the thought process is bring in these guys right off the field. And look, Romo was able to do it. So that's what they're trying to recreate, a la the quarterback, the rookie quarterback who has that good year. It's tough, man. That, you know, when, when Drew started doing the Notre Dame games, people would, would tweet at me, what do you think? Go like, I said, listen, I'm not judging a guy when he just starts. I mean, he, this, he's a, he's a walk-in Hall of Famer, but he's now in a different world of learning timing and everything that goes with a TV broadcast, which he'll learn. He'll, he'll learn in time, just what you said. You know, your first and then your hundredth, there's a different person. A different person evolved. But unfortunately, you get judged early and then you get tagged with that. You're supposed to be great at this. Man, that's unfair. But you know what? You know, unfair, fair doesn't come into play. You know, you're going to you're going to get that opportunity and you're going to be judged immediately on it. You know, it's a little different today. You're right, because somebody like Drew Brees is obviously they're going to use him in very prominent spots. But there is something to what happened in the 90s. Uh, to early 2000s of being on the fourth or fifth team and just working your way up. Like people don't forget Troy Aikman was not on Fox's number one team to start. He had at least a season and a half. I think he might even have done World League football where he just got the reps of being in the booth and then became obviously a top analyst. Romo is a unicorn. It's just, it's for every Romo, there's going to be 25 people who are not Tony Romo. It just... Well, no, I, I agree with you, but again, that's why I go to the owner and the rookie quarterback. They they think they think it, it should be it should be that guy, and they're gonna put they're gonna put the stars in those prominent positions right out of the gate. You're right. That day is gone where where you can learn a little bit. They're not gonna start in the fourth or fifth team, they're not gonna start on a smaller show, they're gonna get thrown right into the mix and and See what, and they're and they're going to have to see what happens. And it is it is absolutely unfair to judge in the beginning. I wouldn't. I didn't answer those people, or I would say I'm not judging him on his first couple of games. Let him get some games under his belt. Yeah, you're right. And then I'm, this is where the finances come in too. If someone's paying you multiple millions of dollars and not putting exactly you on the right. number four team, I mean that's just that's right. That's, exactly it's, right. A, it's a business. All right, here's the last one I want to ask you about, which is um, which is interesting to me because when uh you know when I knew you were the podcast guest, I I wanted to just get into this a little bit. And it's gambling. And in today's world, Mike, if you and Mike Greenberg were doing Mike and Mike, let's say right now in 2022, forget about like if you were on the air for 20 or 30 years, like you're a prominent morning show host on ESPN National. Gambling would be part of the show, either as a sponsor or you would do some kind of segment where you are talking about the odds for games or how the odds became of this game. That was not the case when you obviously first started your Mike and Mike run. So I have two two parts where I want to go. Here's the first part of this. One, um what do you think of that? Just what 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 is as someone who was in the seat for such a long time, had you had if you had the seat now or anybody who has this similar seat heading forward, like gambling is going to be a gigantic content play in the way you might have an interview with Jerry Rice or something like that. Without question. My 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 thought on that is adapt or die. You know, I mean, listen, Greeny and I went up through the times where, you know, you, we got faxes from people. The old fax would paper would fall behind the fax machine and you're digging out to instant, you know, like this, hate this in social media. So you have to adapt to it. And you have to become part of social media. You know, I have close to 800,000 followers. Greeny has over a million. Trey had over a million. So, I mean, you have to adapt to that because this is where we're going. If you don't do that with gambling, you're right. We would try and sneak in this 
snide comment about gambling or undertones like Al Michaels are doing a broadcast or something, you know, where now it's, it's, it's kind of like NIL, you know, the money going out in college used to be under the table and, and everybody was in hushed tones. Now that same money is on top of the table and we can talk about it. So that's now gambling in the NFL. Hell, Tony Romo, remember when he got told by the NFL, you can't have a fantasy draft in Vegas and it wasn't even at a casino. And now the NFL is, is embracing uh, betting and gambling. Listen, I, I have a deal with DraftKings now, so I'm going to do stuff for them. So to your point, you better involve it in your show and you it better be more than one segment. And you have to become that was my fear when I was going to do something with DraftKings or start to do more gambling. And this is how I would have treated it on air is I need to learn more about it. And then what I was told was, no, you don't have to. I'm never going to be an expert in gambling. I need to be me because people want to hear me break down what a game is like. And that can then influence how they choose a game, but I still need to know the basics of it, maybe even a little more. And I do now. I, I and and you have to. So any host out there has to start to understand more and more of the gambling because if you shun it, people are just going to tune somewhere else. So I, I guess it's like anything new coming along that's here to stay, and gambling is it's adapt or die. All right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And actually, it, this will be the last part. And I'm glad you sort of mentioned the DraftKings thing. I didn't know. Um, I didn't sort of know the background of that. My thought would have been like Trey, like Kenny Main, like some others, you would have been a perfect person to be what what these places sort of call a brand ambassador, where you're where you're the face or one of the faces of the brand. No one is expecting you to uh um to break down the odds of like, you know, the the masters or something like that, but they want you to talk about whatever the sports are and then within that people get excited about it. You can you can uh point them to how they would join this service or bet on this service. So are you, like do you have a formal role with DraftKings and if well, so I mean, what is listen, it? Listen, you know, with Trey with, with Caesar's Trey, you, you see what he does on social media, kind of he kind of gives you a team's trends or this or that, gives you great info there. What I'm going to do, I'll go a little more on the field because that's where I, I was. Talk more about matchups and what I see as favorable or unfavorable matchups in what I see in a game to maybe help people along with, okay, well, I'm going to put that, use that as part of my information on maybe how I bet on this game. So, and, and that's what, you know, where my first thought was, oh my God, I have to learn everything about gambling. They were like, no, you don't. We, we, we hired you to be you, you know, be interactive, you know, have fun with everybody. But my job also is to break down games and individual matchups and why I think this passing game is going to work against this pass defense or rush defense is going to stop this running game, which will, again, add to people's information on how they're going to place a bet on this game. So that I'm still going to be my analyst, but now it could be used in a different role. And I, I'm and I'm really, really looking forward to it. So. When does that start? Uh, probably, probably uh, for the these divisional games, or if not for the championship games, and certainly, certainly while football is going on, without a doubt. So, and then lastly, and I imagine you're going to agree with me here. What what people have been writing about in MySpace and seems very, very clear is these places, the Caesars, the the DraftKings. They are eventually going to land a traditional news breaking journalist, a Schefter, uh, a Woj, a Jeff Passan. Um, it just seems now there's obviously a larger conversation about that. How do the leagues feel about that? Can they still get the same information? But would you agree that at a certain point, these kind of places, the places like you're working for at DraftKings, they're eventually going to morph from personalities, analysts like yourself into at least getting a newsbreaker because of the value of information. You buy that, that someone's going to eventually jump. Yes. And I'll take it a step further that some of these places are going to end up having networks of their own. I agree with that. Yeah. So yes, it is it is it is not walking in that direction. It is yeah. running in that direction. It's just so too much they yes. have too much money for that not to have happened, not to sort of be bigger content players. The money's crazy out there. Yes. And yes, yeah. so so they're gonna grab as, as much as they can, whether it's insiders, whether it's analysts, whether it's brand ambassadors. And like I said, they're not just going to stay in that. They're, th those places, the gambling places, are going to even evolve to try and take up more space in this area as well. 
Yeah, a hundred, a hundred, agreed, a hundred percent. Mike Golick again. Some of these jobs may continue, some may not. But at the moment, Westwood won NFL analyst. He just said he's doing the Super Bowl. He'll be on the sidelines. A little bit of news there. He did Learfield College football games this year with Kate Scott. Um, and a shout out to Kate, who, like Mike said, is a massive rising star. He's doing work with Stu Gotts on some Metal Arc podcasts, and as Mike said, look for that partnership uh, to continue heading forward. And he's got his weekly spot on uh, Peacock with uh, Mike Florio. Listen, Mike, things are going well for you. Huh? This is good news, man. I- I'm very happy to see this. I uh, Again, not not that anybody should be should have been crying that Mike Golick uh, is no longer at ESPN. That said, you know, you, you want to see people who, like, have a connection with the audience and who love what they do continue to succeed heading forward. And I think you're just a great example that, like, life does not end, like, when you leave the 860. Like, you and Kenny Maine and... Trey Wingo and Josina Anderson, Dan Patrick. I mean, the list at this point is super long, and it's good to see because I think it's even good for young people to realize that, like, you know, once you leave a place, maybe that was your dream place. Like, it's not the end of your career. There's another career. After no, there that. is. And, yeah, so that's that's cool and, and to see. It was a great place to work for a number of years, but there are other entities out there as this sports world grows, as we just talked about, for other opportunities. So, uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, the opportunities are out there. It's just a matter of finding them and, and continue to do what I love to do. Great. Mike, you're always good to uh, give me some time. Continued success. Thanks for coming on today to the Sports Media Podcast. No problem, Richard. No problem at all. All right. As I said at the top, he really doesn't need any introduction. If you are an NFL fan, you know who Jake Glazer is. You've seen him on Fox NFL Sunday I mean, he can tell you how long it is, but it feels like he's been on that show since like 1932. I'm sure it's not 1932, Jay. Um, but you can catch him. Obviously, he's, you know, when you think of sort of the people who are, you know, the the at the top of the line when it comes to the insiders in the NFL, Jay Glazer's name is always going to be there. He is here for his football stuff. But more than that, he's the author of Unbreakable, How I Turn My Depression and Anxiety into Motivation. And you can too. That book's available on on Amazon as well as any other place you buy books. It's already an Amazon bestseller. And um, and if you follow Jay on Twitter, you know that um, Jay is very very honest and frank when it comes to mental health, his own issues with depression and anxiety. And he's got a little community now, uh, or not a little, a big Twitter community who checks in with him every day for sort of his um, his mental health message of the day. And I'm pleased to be joined by Jay Glazer of Fox Sports. Jay, how are you? Doing good, man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Uh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on a sec. Go ahead. Jay. By the way, it ain't fucking 1932. All right, Jay, I mean, you're already I mean, producing this. Jay, you're already producing this podcast. So I see the New York. I see the New York in you has not left. It's good. <laughs> 2004, my first year of Fox. 2004. 2004. All right, that's pretty good. I like that. Um, yep, all right. Yep, yep. So I listened uh, in doing my preparation. I listened to the um, uh, an interview you did maybe a couple days ago with Dan Patrick. It was either a couple days ago or last week, and. Uh, Something that you said to him really struck me. It was pretty interesting. And you're talking about how you've been exploring your mental health for a long period of time. And that was sort of part of the reason you wrote this book in terms of the exploration, in terms of um, why, where on the surface, you had all these materialistic great things. Amazing job. You're making, obviously, a ton of money. Yeah, very influential social circle. But when you hit the pillow at night, man, those first 15 minutes were really, really tough. As the th- son of a therapist and someone who certainly believes massively in therapy, uh, most people have no idea who suffers from anxiety, who suffers from depression. It is undercounted to the extreme because so many people are afraid to talk about it. And I really appreciate and admire, Jay, that you've now put this out in this book. So it gets to the larger question of why did you feel at this point in your life it was time to write this book, to pen this stuff? You know, it's interesting because a lot of people have been trying to get me to write football books over the years. I'm like, nah, I'm not really interested in, in, uh, in doing any sort of tell-all or anything like that, right? And um, part of my own, what gets me through my gray, and it's funny, for a long time, man, and you've known me forever, my friends in Australia and all those guys and how they'd say, oh, Jay's crazy. And there's a kind of a badge of honor in sports and mixed martial arts, my other sport and and football, I was a little bad job to be, to be crazy, at least somewhat. But the crazy actually came from pain. And I've always lived in it. And we never talked about mental health in the past. We just talked about crazy. And now I'm like, like for me, one of the things that gets me through my gray, I call it the gray. So I have a depression, anxiety, um, 
and it's been there since my earliest memory. Like, I don't know how it's like not to feel this way. And I don't know if that's, um, I know my grandmother suffered from it. My mother, I don't know if it was something that's been handed down or there's some childhood trauma, whatever it is. Um, that's the only way I've known to think about myself. And as a result, the name of the book is Unbreakable, How I Use My Depression and Anxiety to Motivate Me. And you can too. I've always used, because I have not understood how to like this person or love this person from the inside out. You talked about all the stuff that I've done in my social circles and my, and my jobs. In my mind, it, it motivated me to go do these great things so I could maybe get some love from the outside in. And, you know, part of my thing to get through the gray is to be of service and being able to use my own gray to get people through their own darkness. That's a way of being a service. So I'm like, man, I'm, I'm doing it. You know, these are things that I, I have my foundation, MVP, Emerging Vets and Players, where I've been very open and transparent to our combat vets and our ex-athletes and our football players and our fighters and all that. And I'm like, man, the, these are in closed circles. It's time to give it to the rest of the world because I know it's, it's helped them. And the more I can help others, the more it's going to get me through that gray. And listen, the gray for me, Richard, it's, it, it absolutely sucks, man. It is every morning I wake up and I am just waiting for the sky to fall and all this good stuff that I have to get pulled away and think, man, the universe is just going to collapse around me. And it's not the truth, but I'm not able to comprehend it because that's what the roommates in my head tell me. And I have to do all this stuff in the morning just to get myself out of bed because it's that much pain. And when I do get out of bed, then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to be relentless. I'm going to be unbreakable. I'm going to go for it. Now that I got out of bed, I'm going to go for it. And I just know that, you know, there's so, there's, you know, the world is seen through an unauthentic lens these days. Like social media is full of shit. Like we're comparing, we're comparing ourselves to everybody else's filtered fraction of a second. It ain't fucking real. But how are we how are we not supposed to think our lives suck when we're comparing ourselves to everybody else's filtered fraction of a second? And then, by the way, hearing all this bad stuff or reading all this bad stuff on Twitter, the human condition is not meant for it. And just because I have money now or you have fame or something like that, doesn't mean that my feelings ain't gonna hurt. It does. Like if more so, I'm probably more sensitive than most my sensitivity has helped me get to where I am. So yeah, I want to be real authentic with people out there and be a voice for them to show them they ain't alone. We, we need to start being more real with each other or else this world's going to go through a, a much and even a harder place. And the, the title unbreakable, it's never more applicable, applicable. I mean, we, we're coming through a pandemic and it did not break us as a world. Jay, have you ever, um, did some self-examination about why you entered such a hyper masculinity testosterone world because the the it, we're in a much better place in 2022 where people in professional athletes will absolutely talk about mental health Kevin Love DeMar DeRozan a lot of people yeah. out there who yeah exactly they've broken that if you want to call it a taboo but i wonder if you ever have thought about man like you know, I maybe I could have been in. I could have been a school teacher. I could have been a doctor. I could have been this. But you went into oh, such a oh. world where, for such a long time, you know what I mean. It was like verboten to talk about any of this stuff. So here's the thing: I went into the world of uh, athletics, especially like fighting. I like for me, I felt like such a dumb kid. I was in remedial English. I'm, I'm not. You know, I have depression, anxiety, and ADD. So I gotta. You know, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it big. <laughs> Triple, you're Russell, Russell Westbrook, <laughs> gonna, triple right, double there. I'm going to have it all. So I always felt like a dumb kid. So for me, fighting for me was like, okay, well, that's the place I belong. But I, the messed up part was I had such little self-worth. I used to go into a cage to lose. Like that's what I felt. That's what I felt I deserved. How fucked up is that? I'm going to go into a cage and let people kick me in my head and elbow me and slam me. And I'm going in with the idea of I'm going to lose. Well, it wasn't until I started coaching guys and getting around some of the, the, the warriors that are my teammates now, the Randy Couture's and the, the Chuck Liddell's, where I started to see that doesn't have to be my story and doesn't have to be my narrative. But for a while, it's just where I felt like I belonged, in this cage. Um, and as far as football, I was just a, 
a football fan. And I, I got to say this, it's going to sound weird, but look, you know, I, I kind of grew up, um, I was always tiny. I was kind of the runt. The world of football and, for my, and for fighting, I found a lot of love in there. And you see how loyal I am to my guys and my crew. And, you know, I've done it differently. And, you know, I was, I was the first, me and Len Pascarelli were the first minute-by-minute breaking news guys in this country in 99 on the, that internet thing when, I, you know, when it came out. I think it's going to catch on, by the way. And uh, <laughs> it'd be like me versus Clayton and, and, and Pascarelli and, and Mort jumped in. Like, we're the first ones to, to do this. I couldn't, like, for me, that community of all these people in the world of sports, it was loving to me. They accepted me. They loved me. They didn't, they didn't uh, man, they didn't frown on me. Or, or at least the roommates in my head were more comfortable getting along when I'm around that group. So loyalty for me with this group is, is huge because I, I, I think they saved my life. And um, I'm now in turn able to use a lot of the shit I talk about with them to save other people. Jay, what do you, because this, this sort of, um, this has happened during the course of your adult life, this, this change. What do you make of the fact that in 2022 athletes, particularly male athletes can come out and speak about depression and anxiety, things that, um, the pressures that they feel, uh, on a daily basis where, you know, when we were first starting out in our professions, like, again, this didn't happen if people did come out, they would get accused of being, you know, soft, mentally, mentally not strong. Um, I think women have been far ahead of men in this in terms of they've been more open and honest. And again, like even today, though, like Naomi Osaka will talk about how she feels um, mentally. She need, you know, like she'll need, like she she needs to get away from the sport. And there's still yokels out there who are saying she's soft, she's not tough. But I will say we're in a better place. It feels like we're in a better place in 2022, and I just I love your perspective on the fact that again, even in the NFL, I'm not surprised anymore when a guy comes out and sort of talks honestly about, hey, like I need to get away from practice right now because I'm not in a good headspace. This this stuff was never well, it wasn't certainly was never talked about, about in the 60s or 70s. It, it wasn't so talked about we, the we way you're thinking. Up. But think about uh, it. Simone Biles, right, and Michael Jordan. They said the same thing when they stepped away, right? Like, hey, what's the best? What's your favorite time? Well, my off days. Both talked about the weight of the world being on their shoulders, right? But Michael Jordan didn't talk about it this way. But the difference, too, and I think why we're all talking about it now is because of social media, because it, it's so – it makes us feel so bad. And it's, it gets us to cave in on such a different level now. I think people now, they're just they're, – they're breaking and talking about it, which makes them unbreakable in my mind. Right. Where we're now opening up about it. And yeah, I think, um, again, I started talking about it because I know that it, I see how much it, it was helping our vets and, and some of these players. But like for me, no one's questioning my manhood. Right? So I could, I could cry on the drop of a dime. No one's questioning my shit. No one's going to call, call me soft because I start crying here about this. And that's how it was. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Same thing with Demar Derozan or exactly. some of these other guys. It yeah, isn't like my vulnerability right. is what makes me strong, but it's the vulnerability that really makes me very strong. And that's where um, I think the fact that you know doing a book like this, I'm trying to get that conversation out more to get people. And I know we're saying like it's okay not to be okay, but like I'm fucked up, but I'm good with my fucked upness, and I want everybody else to be also, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a, that's a really good uh, perspective on it. I want to ask one more thing about. Uh, uh, your use of social media. Um, you know, one of the things in looking at your Twitter feed that uh, I've really been impressed by, one, you're incredibly honest on it, which I think is always, or authentic maybe is the better word, is, which is always important. Uh, I mean, there's always performative on Twitter, but you're authentic, and that to me is really important. But you have yeah, had yeah. stories where people, oh like God. strangers, right, have contacted you who have said, hey, Jay, I've seen this. Uh, I, well, you'll, you'll run into like a person, let's say, in your real life who says, hey, Jay, I happen to have actually followed you on Twitter. You said this about mental health, and it really helped me that day. It really impacted me. I wonder if you could just share a couple of those stories because it's pretty amazing how you the the we have a big circle, but yet it's really a small circle sometimes. The book is coming out January 25th, and I told my crew, listen, we got a lot of stuff in here. Like, I don't want to wait because they're like, hey, you got to wait. And I'm like, I don't want to wait because they're all saying, you're going to change the world. You're going to change the world. You're going to do this. I don't know if I'm a change or a saver, but I'll, 
as one of my friends, Kirsty Ennis, will say, we're, we're damn sure we're going to improve it together. But I don't want to wait. Like, every day we're not putting stuff out. It's a day that somebody, I could help someone. So they said, okay. And I said, listen, I'm just going to start doing this in real time to show people what it's really like. Not the filter bullshit. This is what it's really like. And like the days that wake that I wake up and I'm in this gray and I can't get out of bed, I don't know. Like this thing plays by its own set of rules. I don't know when that's going to happen. The days I have anxiety attacks on set, which is a lot when you all don't even know about. Like I don't, and I'm, I call it wrestling with my abuser. Like I don't know when that's going to happen. And, but I got to fight back. So yeah, I decided to do this and just be like, hey, this is the real stuff. Because we all talk about, people say mental health, they talk about, they don't describe it. They don't, you know, and I describe it in this book. And again, I use my contacts in the book. And I don't know if you've read it yet, but um, the way I go over, okay, the way I talk about the gray, it was a conversation that I had with Sean McVay last year, with me and Andrew Whitworth, who lives in this shit also, which is what gets him to still run out of the football field at 40 years of age and do the stuff he does to his body. And we're trying to explain it to Sean who doesn't fully get like, man, Sean's like, he's like a nightlight. His parents are like the people that you would see in like the, the, uh, the picture frames you buy. And like, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to him is he lost the Super Bowl in the second year as head coach. And I was like, Sean, every one of your people, every one of your players, man, they got it. Like you can't, you can't be great and not be crazy, right? But if you could really understand it, think how many, think how much better of a coach you'll be. And he said, well, how many players on my team do you think have it? I said, actually, the bigger question is how many of your secretaries, how many of your personnel people, how many of your scouts, how many of your assistant coaches, how many? And I explain it to him in detail. And he has, he has allowed me to repeat the story in great detail because of how many people it'll, it'll help. And that's why, and he's like, People may not understand it. So this year he calls me and just in the middle of the year, he goes, Hey man, like I really get it now. Like I really understand it. And it wasn't, it was just a whole bunch of things in the past. I think he probably wouldn't have been vulnerable with himself. Cause as these dudes, you're just taught to just march on and march on. And, and the funny thing is in part of the book, I'm also teach show how I train our football players and our fighters in, in MMA. And I'm like, you don't show it. We don't ever show it. Neutral face. We don't put our hands on our hips. We don't take a stool in between rounds. We're relentless. Yet in the real world, I want everybody to show it all, tell it all, because then we can connect. So sorry, this is the long version of your answer. But there's been, since I started doing that and just being real about it, the, I'm trying not to cry over here, but I've had a lot of people reach out. And, uh, and here I go, I'm starting to cry. <laughs> a lot of people reach out saying that they were going to kill themselves. And because of these posts, they're now going to go get help or they're going to turn to someone. And like, I've tried to get people to understand, man, this has made me so much closer to my friends. I've gotten them to understand me and I don't have to hide and suffer in silence anymore. And it's made me so much better, um, probably a better friend too, because I was in so much pain. I was doing a lot of bad, I, I was having outbursts and, and, you know, you don't know why, but I'm just, man, I'm a lot of it is fear. And, um, it's been a huge relief that I've been, I have these teammates now where I could walk this walk with them. And like, you know, you bring up these other stories. I mean, yesterday, yesterday I'm in LA and I leave my jam unbreakable and I'm driving down the street and um, I come to a light and a woman is in the next car over and she sees me, does a double take and says, Oh my God, I can't believe you're here. It's like, hi. And she just said, because of your posts. That's why I'm driving right now. I said, huh? And she said, thank you so much for your post on mental health. That's why I'm out driving right now. Where she was stuck in this gray, I guess, and isolating and wanted to make sure that she, she went out and she went out for the whole day. And, you know, she's like, I can't believe you're here right now. Thank you. And I said, Hey, thank you for telling me that. And I said, you never know what lies around next Tuesday. So keep fighting back because something may, magnificent may happen to you next Tuesday or the following Tuesday or the following Tuesday, right? And I just, you just never know what lies around next Tuesday. And thank you. She said, no, thank you. Like, you're the one who got me out of my house today. And then I posted it. And it turns out someone who works in the business, um, which I didn't know, was like, oh, my God. But that's what I'm saying. You got all these teammates right there next to you that you could actually 
lean on and walk this walk together with. And that's why I want us all to kind of gravitate and lean on each other. And if I didn't have this depression and anxiety, I would not be where I am. So I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to let my depression and anxiety leave me in a room with a revolver in my mouth. I'm not going to do that. Like I will not do that to everybody else, no matter how bad my pain is. But what I've done is it motivated me to go do bigger things um, in search of trying to figure out how to love myself from the inside out. I have one more on this, and then we'll just end on a quick football note. Um, you mentioned that um, you've had uh, anxiety attacks, panic attacks on the set of uh, Fox NFL Sunday. I wonder if you could just share um, either a story or what that's been like and how you were able to, um, you know, this is a live show. So how you were able to sort of persevere and go on the air when something like this is happening. And again, as someone, it's been a long time. It was a, a flight to the Beijing Olympics in 2008, but I had a panic attack flying out of New York to to Beijing. And so like, I know, um, I know firsthand, like how debilitating that could be. You think you're going to die. And so like, I can't, I wasn't going on set that day. Nothing else. I was in an airplane. There were some doctors around. They helped me out. I pop eventually gave me a Xanax and I fell asleep. This is a different situation for you. You know, you got to be on the air at 1245 ET. So what happens? Um, man, I, I call it wrestling with my abuser and it, and you'll read in the book how often it happens way more than it doesn't. And I don't know, I don't know why, because I'm great in chaos, man. Like I, I throw in a cage. I'm great. I'm comfortable wrestling. Andrew Whitworth or Lane Johnson. I'm fine, which I should not be, but I'm fine on TV. I'm great. I'm fine. It's chaos. It's, whoa. I suck in calm. So a lot of times I'll cause chaos when it doesn't need to be caused. Cause I don't, um, because I'm not comfortable in the calm yet. I'm working on it. But I don't know. This started in 2005 for me out of nowhere. No idea why. No clue. But like you said, you feel like you're going to die. So every time it happens to me, I feel like I'm going to die. And it's going to happen on camera. And the whole world's going to see it. Right? And um, so I have a whole thing that I do. And I wrestle with my abuser while it happens. And one of the things that I do all the time, like in the book, because I talk about really heavy shit in the book, but I also make you laugh the whole time. And I have a whole chapter in there about practical jokes and laughter because the gray hates laughter. So you'll see me on Fox and NFL Sunday all the time trying to get a quick joke out or laugh about something. A lot of times it's actually to get me out of these anxiety or panic attacks that I'm having. And it's a, it's a really consistent thing. When ha- and my, my um, the co-author said to me, well, how come you don't tell your, your guys? I said, it's not their problem. Like, I want them to enjoy the show. Like, this ain't Jimmy Johnson's problem. This ain't Howie Long's problem. This ain't straight. This is like, I want them to enjoy it. So, but she's like, but you're kind of going against your own thing about, like, make sure you open up. I said, yeah, but in this case, I want them to enjoy it. So I'd rather fight it my, myself and figure out. So I laugh as fast as I can. That gets me through it. And do breath work in between sets, uh, in between at commercial breaks and stuff. And, but even like, when I was doing ballers, which is not live. And I know I could stop down anytime I want and do it again. It would happen there. It's just, I don't know why or why it happened in 2005 on. Um, but the one thing I could tell you this, and I didn't realize it until I did the sit down with Lane Johnson, because I said, Lane, what's your, what's your kind of advice for some people who are going to listen? He said, you know what? Journal. Journal everything. Journal everything. And I said, holy shit. What I realized is since I wrote the book, I have not had one anxiety panic attack on camera, not one. And I didn't realize it till he told me it in that moment. So it's been 2005 to now, almost 20 years straight of them. And I had no, and then he said, I'm like, oh my God. So for anybody listening to this, yeah, journal it, journal your stuff. And it's something that helped me that I didn't know was had helped me. Um, and that's the great part of this also about the thing I'm doing with social media now and with this is like, I'm constantly getting new teammates and like, we're in this together. I'm not, I'm not your therapist. I'm not your teacher. I'm not your clergy. I don't got the answers. Like I'm just a damaged, fucked up dude. Who's trying to learn to get some love from the inside out. So I'm willing to listen to anybody's ideas and then be the communicator for everybody else for things that that help us. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Thank you. The last uh, thing is, um, 
Yeah, it's a hard segue, but I want to switch to a, a, a football media topic because um, you are really like a perfect person to ask this. There's been a lot of sort of talk within the industry, Jay, of these gambling companies, you know, the DraftKings and Caesars. Eventually, they'll move from having like brand ambassadors, former uh ESPN types to sort of come on and and talk about football and you know say hey here go sign up for this uh, uh, our service to newsbreakers a Schefter type a Wojnarowski type a Glazer type where they want to get in the game against the traditional places like ESPN Fox Sports NBC Sports etc. You obviously have a great job you know you're like think of you as like a Aikman and Collinsworth and Romo. There's only a few handful of these number one insider jobs. So no one's discounting that you have one of the best jobs in the world for what you do. That said, I just wanted to get your take on one. Do you think this is going to eventually happen? And two, how tempting would it be if one of these places said, Jay, we want to build an entire content around your information and we'll I'm just gonna make this up. Like we'll pay you twenty million dollars a year. I'm oh, just now you're bringing out twenty million dollars a year. Oh, that's crazy. Right. Uh, but I'm saying like at, at the, 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 what this, you know, this, what these places can offer is liquid is money. Like that's going to be their advantage over the, the, the old school legacy places. So I wonder just how you see this. Cause I think everybody believes within the next year or two, a major player is going to jump to one of these places. And I think the average fan's going to be like, wow, this guy's not at ESPN anymore. He's now at DraftKings Caesars or whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, things change a lot. Right. And <clears throat> Again, when I said I did the minute-by-minute break of news in 90, starting in 99, everything was newspapers back then. So when Pascarelli and I started doing this, a lot of newspaper guys were like, hey, fuck you. Like, you're, you know, they're, they're sending something in for the back page for the next day, and then we'll break it at 10 o'clock the night before, so things change. I don't know how this is going to change. I know they're going to be big players. I, I think for me, though, um, like, I need, I need a team. I, I don't you know, it'd be hard for me to jump somewhere as, as myself somewhere like being, and look, we're the, I think we're the first family of football, right? Fox Fennifal Sunday. We're the only sports show in the TV hall of fame. Yeah. I mean, you've, you're the most watched in your window basically for almost 30 years. It's almost unheard. So that's a team yeah. for me. That's, and we're all the best at what we do. We finish, we got six of us on the show and 18 personalities between the six of us. Um, obviously I got nine of those. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, for, for me, that's, what's like, that's, that's a lot of liquidity for me is like, man, I, when we're together, like our crew at Fox and about Sunday, when we're together, we freaking have so much fun. We love each other so much. We laugh our asses off so much. And that comes through in camera and people are like, you guys are really like, it? oh yeah, this is really us. Yeah. Well, you were, uh, am I right about this? You're. I hope I have this. You well, Menifee's best man well, at his well, wedding, well, something like Menifee's that. Menifee's right? and um, man, we're best man at each other's weddings. There's been a lot of weddings with us. Um, we're, we're godfather of each other's kids. I'm not playing twins, by the way. One of them, like who does that? I said, son happens to you. The other one, she's on her own. So, like, one of them. Um, but no, we've all taken care of each other over the years. We got such a special thing. I was telling one of our guys, man, they should do a last dance on us. Like they did not like it. Nothing like this is ever going to happen again. And you know, just the personalities that we've had and. I mean, think about it too. Like, Strahan's the king of daytime TV. Are you kidding me? He just went to space. Like, are you kidding me? But, man, like, we've all, they're all Hall of Famers, every one of them. They'll never be in our, uh, whatever you think of Fox NFL Sunday or any of these other shows, the one thing I can tell you is no, there will never be another show, NFL show in our lifetime, that will go that many years straight with that same exact cast. It'll never happen again. It's just that in, Modern television with executives and people who, you know, Jay, they're 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 very quick to not to change. They don't want to give chemistry time. It, your Fox Alpha Sunday, like inside the NBA, in many ways, it will never happen again. It cannot, in my opinion, will never be duplicated. It, not it, in our no, life. That's exactly right. And that's why, for me, like it took an awful lot to leave something like that. So, but I, but what is the business eventually yeah, going to change? Yeah, things change. Yeah, things change. So, and then like especially with the kind of money that they're probably going to throw around. I think you're going to, you're right. Once somebody does it, then it makes it okay for others to do it. So it just opens things up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, like I said, you, you, the, the job that you have is I look at it the same way. Like I look at Aikman, Romo, Collinsworth, et cetera. It's these are essentially there's four people in the world who have the job and you, you, 
you got to be careful about not giving it up, basically, and you know, unless it's really the reason. All right, Jay Glazer is the author of Unbreakable, How I Turn My Depression and Anxiety into Motivation, and you can too. Um, yeah, again, uh, these, uh, yeah, he's selling a book, and he's obviously going to do a book tour, but man, I, I can't think of a more top, uh, important topic in the world than uh, people um, having the, the confidence and the freedom and just the peace of mind to speak about their own mental health troubles. The world would be in such a better place if these stigmas were knocked out. And I do think, Jay, what you're doing really helps that, uh, particularly with men, particularly probably men of your age and generation. So uh, I appreciate your time. I really wish you the best of luck with the book. And, uh, and thanks so much for your honesty today. I appreciate that. I appreciate that much. Thank you, dude. Appreciate it a lot. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Mike Golick and Jay Glazer. Uh, that was a great podcast. Both guys really were were interesting and and brought just something really, really unique to uh, to this episode. I can't thank both enough, and really appreciate Jay Glazer's honesty when it comes to mental health. As I mentioned in the podcast, my mom, uh, my late mom, it was a uh, in addition to being a college professor, a psychologist, and that's uh, just a, has been a very important part of uh, all my family's life she had a counseling practice and mental health was something talked about in our family a lot we're big believers in therapy and so so i appreciate jay glazer and what he had to say if um if you like these kind of uh, conversations and podcasts head to the sports media with richard deitch archives page you will find something i think that you like leave us a five-star review and a nice note that's how this podcast continues the episode prior to this the future of hockey reporting with michael farber uh, ESPN's Emily Kaplan, Michael Russo, and Fluto Shinzawa, both those last guys of The Athletic. That was a really interesting conversation on where hockey reporting is and where it's going. Before that, uh, the MLB Network lets go of Ken Rosenthal, and will Urban Meyer get hired with Britt Giroli and Chad Finn? Before that, a conversation on John Madden's legacy with his last producer, Sunday Night Football executive producer Fred Gadelli. Ryan Clark, one of the episodes before that, the ESPN NFL analyst. We had James Andrew Miller on the history of HBO, HBO Sports. Rebecca Lowe, Mike Breen, and Ian Eagle came on together to uh, to talk about uh, calling NBA basketball. Pam Oliver of Fox Sports on her amazing career. You will find uh, things in the archives that I think you'll appreciate. My thanks to Patrick Antonetti for putting this podcast together. Thanks to everybody at Cage 13. And thanks, of course, to you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.